0: anyways everybody welcome to another episode of the sample hour today I'm joined by my uh, I think I've probably had this gentleman on more than any other guest he's he's a good friend of mine and in a lot of ways a, a mentor and and supporter of, of what I do and he he uh, I feel like we may hopefully we inspire each other
1: but this, that's a good Good way of putting it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this man is the owner of, of two minds, um, dot com. It's a, uh, a great blog. If, if you guys haven't started reading it yet, you definitely should. I actually, out of um, all the cool people that read his blog and everybody I've interacted with, I decided to go to Facebook and create a Facebook group. So you guys will see a link for the Facebook group in here. It's not a lot going on there yet, guys. So if you see some interesting articles, just feel free to post them right now. I've posted a few. But uh, hey, we all got to start somewhere. He, uh, This gentleman recently just published an awesome book that uh, I, uh, I've already read most of. I, I, I uh, have a little bit of a chapter left. I've been actually listening to it, but it's called A Radically Beneficial World Automation Technology... And creating jobs for all, Mr. Charles Hugh Smith. Welcome back to the show, sir.
1: Thank you, Drew. Always a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good time. We actually uh, we've been meaning to do this for a while. The last time we had this scheduled, we uh, we were both busy men, and we stood each other up. And uh, I took a nap, and you had some work you had to do, and we just missed each other. But now we're back on it, and uh, and but. As you were saying before we started recording, more importantly, <laughs> yeah. what are you drinking, sir? Yeah.
1: yeah, well, do you want to answer first or shall I lead off?
0: Oh, I will answer first. So today, okay. initially when we talked, I thought my plan was to already have some like mead or cider going, and I haven't I haven't quite done that yet, but I, hopefully for the next show. Um, so... I actually picked up some, uh, this is the brewery that I think, it's okay, it's not my favorite brewery in Columbus, but a lot of the beer connoisseurs, craft brew people, or hipsters in Columbus love this place. It's called Seventh Son. I'm drinking the Humulus Nimbus Super Pale Ale. Um, It is a double pale ale. It is 6% alcohol. It's pretty delicious, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty good. And what are you drinking, sir?
1: So that's called the Seventh Sun. Now, when I visit Columbus, I'm you know I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to take me around oh. to the, to the top brew pubs. When,
0: when you come, we're gonna go fine eating. <laughs> Here's the thing, Charles, in the Midwest, there's not a lot to do besides restaurants and brew pubs. And I think, uh, and we'll get into this in the show, but I, I mean, there's plenty of spots. I mean, we actually just had a uh a, a comedy show that we had sponsored and uh charles it was pretty cool we had this restaurant it's my favorite spot it's called i'll give them a plug it's called flip side they have three of them it's actually originally out of cleveland and hudson area and they opened one down here and it's all ohio farms all locally sourced food delicious beer the best shakes and uh so they they sponsor our event and that's my favorite spot but there's so many spots like that in columbus that are popping up where it's like beer from scratch food from scratch and and honestly and i want to when we get into it I, i think that's actually like the key to a good local economy man but anyways keep keep going charles what are you drinking sir
1: <clears throat> well, it's um, getting a little nippy even here in, in Northern California. So my taste for beer tends to uh, decline as it gets colder. And um, it just so happens that my uh, my apartment where I'm living, it's not particularly warm. There's a lot of glass. And so it's pretty cold. <laughs> 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 you know, when it's 50 outside, it's like 52 in here. So anyways, I switched to wine. And so I'm drinking this... Um, this, like, really cheap uh, California wine. It's a 2011 red wine, and it's called Simply Naked.
0: I've had Simply S- Naked. That's some pretty solid uh, wine.
1: I, I like it. It's, it's, um, I, I call it cheap because, number one, it, it was, you know, like four bucks a bottle or whatever. <laughs> but it was also, um, they don't, they don't um, bother aging it in, in oak. And so, um, and you know, that's a, that's a good, clean way to, to make wine is you just forget about the oak and the tannins and all that kind of stuff. And um, So it tends to be a little sweeter and there's no tannins. Yeah. So I, it's a good drinking wine.
0: Yeah, it's, I tell you what, I I'm really I've been really on this kick about making meads and making uh, ciders. and I didn't realize how easy it is. I mean, honestly, you just get some yeast and a balloon. And you throw it in 100% juice and you let it sit for a while and that's it. I mean, that's it's easy to do. I get why the Vikings and all them did it for so long. You make put some honey in it. And I think, you know, with wine, I mean, it's not a mead is a kind of wine from my understanding. I guess some wine critics might disagree. But uh, I think that's, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's, that's good. I don't. Particularly, usually when it's soaked in oak, I've been to multiple uh, wine tastings, and I remember when I was younger, I just would go through every one, I'm like, this tastes like wood. This tastes like wood, like every time. And I was only like 22 years old, and I do actually appreciate wine more now, but I think sometimes I feel like you can overdo it with wine, I feel like a lot of times, but it's an interesting culture, so I don't, not to diverge from our normal conversations, Charles, but... I like the I like the simple stuff too. Uh, that's what long story short.
1: Yeah, well, I think um I think our entrepreneurial uh spirits um are open to this whole spectrum of of um locally made stuff and in and in, in in areas where grapes grow then um you know, hey, that's that's the entrepreneurial spirit. It, it's it's wine and that and then wine sort of powers the uh the restaurants and cafes and all that stuff and um and places that um have access to hops and and all the the, the ingredients for beer then then you've got some some great um entrepreneurial opportunities there. And so um we we have uh, discussed in the past how both of us feel that brew pubs are like a key um economic driver in the local community economy. You know, like it's nice to talk about Facebook and uh, social media and uh, mobile apps and all those things are real, you know, and they do drive a certain level of of um, activity, but it, they're not. They're way they're they're at a level above the local economy, you know. Like 99.9% of the U.S. is not benefiting from Facebook's Menlo Park operation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And sorry about the background, everybody. While Charles was talking, my. Cats just decided to just run all over the place. So for anybody that heard that, um, I 100% agree. And then and it's kind of like, you know, I was thinking about it because I go, there's so many. And, and that's the thing. Like, I got this local food business. I got the microgreens going. And my buddy's base And I'm about to really go ham here but i, I want to kind of start slow because i don't want to be throwing product away constantly so the microgreens for me have been like the strategy to get in the door and then it's you know getting to the restaurant during um peak hour or non-peak hours which is tough so i've been in food trucks and and i've been going to like and really what i notice is a lot of spots that are like on my list to go to are um Are these you know microbrewery restaurants then i started thinking like there's so many areas in ohio that you know it it, to me that's like columbus probably has the most columbus and cleveland and cincinnati and they have the three strongest economies columbus definitely number one but we also have so many universities especially like the one of the largest universities in the in the world but um you know to say something about facebook i was thinking you know people want to go somewhere and sit on their phones and check their facebook why not go to a local microbrewery right like if they're going to be they don't want to interact in the in the in the facebook world or the twitter world or the instagram world when they're at their home like nobody likes to take selfies there they like to take selfies in cool places so a cool place would be a uh you know a uh A local brew spot, or 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 a cool local restaurant where you can chill and and so i think it's all a part of it like i think every every spot has a piece like facebook definitely has a piece but it's not i mean just like you what we've talked about a lot of times it's not everything and and actually in your book which you know you did just write a book charles so i think we should really talk about it um you know in your book you, you talk about that a lot i think uh you know one thing it was interesting because when we were when i was listening to him I'm like yeah charles and i have talked about all this stuff and i'm just like listening on the treadmill and uh and for anybody that doesn't know like i i've listened i listened to it through this app called voice stream so i'll give it a plug um but uh so you could actually if you wanted to download he's got to the first chapter and in the intro free on his website and you can actually download it from your phone and plug it into Voice Dream and start listening to it if you wanted to. It's one way to consume it, or you can read it. Um, but you know, when I was when I was listening to it, it was like, uh, man, Charles and I have talked about this stuff a lot, and then it it was like it was it was it was interesting to me because it's uh, you know it, it it's stuff that we talk about all the time, and you know people don't. Realize, and I think a, a big thing that you you cover in this book, in your new book, is everybody like. There's these i there's so many weird ideas with automation, and and it's um you know there's there's I have one friend who he really believes we don't need to work anymore because we'll have these machines, and you tackle that issue quite a bit. Like, where is the money going to come from if if it would people people who think this like where? where is this money going to come from like so we're supposed to tax these machine or automation owners and that just doesn't work do you want to go in and i and you know there's some other topics too that i want to cover but first this is the first one that popped in my head because honestly automation is going to replace most jobs
1: right and um the, the what i would specify right off the bat is those uh it will replace profitable jobs in other words there's a lot of work we do in, in, um, in, in being alive, right? The human experience, a lot of what we do um, isn't really that profitable, you know? Um, and people try to make it profitable, but um, then it, it's costly. Like, say, for instance, okay, so you, you get up in the morning and you make yourself a cup of coffee or tea. Well, you know, Starbucks will do that for you if you have, like, an extra three or four bucks laying around But, um, and they've made it into a profitable business. But, um, as I say in my book, there's a lot of other things that aren't, will never be profitable that would benefit the community. And then my first example is always bike lanes and bikeways because, you know, I ride my bike a lot when the weather allows and, um, it, uh, takes vehicles off the road. It saves energy. It's healthy. You know, you get your heart rate up and, um, it has a lot of benefits for the community and for the individual. And there's also been studies that um, if you put in a bikeway on a busy, um, like a commercial street with a lot of cafes and um, small businesses, well, then those businesses benefit when, when people can get there on their bike and there's a place they can lock it. And I mean, it's so much easier than fooling around with your car. So um, there's also economic benefits to bikeways, but you can't make money building and maintaining a bikeway. Because there's unless you charge the people for using it. And then that defeats the whole purpose. And so <laughs> and so there's a lot of things like that in in the human experience, you know? Um and Yeah, and in I yeah. mean
0: even to add to the bikeway, we we talked about it before in a in a previous episode. And um it in one thing and I and I try to get these people on and they're busy and I'm going to try again, but it, there was a TEDx of this couple who You know they have a farm and it's it's attached to a bikeway. So what they decided to do was have a fruit and vegetable stand right on the bikeway, and then they oh in a coffee shop too. And they had this idea of of you know one way that you could they had this crazy idea of zoning, which I didn't agree with. But one thing, I mean, there when you were saying it's not very profitable for bikeways like bike paths and stuff. If you did put businesses there. Um, now, there is going to be some, uh, some logistical things of getting products there. But, I mean, you, you could potentially have that bikeway pay for itself. There's a, I, I, this is just kind of an idea. If you have businesses there, you can get it to pay for itself in a sense. Um, and that was, it, it was an interesting idea, and I don't want to divert too much. But I, I think, you know, when you were saying about businesses, um, you know, bring business to where these bikeways are. I mean, yeah, there's people that just want to work out. But those people like would probably like to interact with each other and everything else like that, so if you had a little coffee stand on a bikeway, people would probably want to get which is funny because you use the coffee example people would probably want to go there and chill so uh, but keep going, I'm sorry, Charles.
1: no no, that's a very good idea um drew and it it um I think it ties into you know the big topics that we're we're trying to tackle both in my book and and um and in um business, and entrepreneurship. And um, the, the thing that you just uh, described is, is excellent because it shows that at the community level, like say a community decided to invest in some serious bike waste. And by serious, I mean that they're safe for uh, parents and children. And um, I say this because there was a, a, a study done And they found that the ridership in bikeways and bike lanes um, only goes up when parents with young children feel safe enough to take their kids out on the bikeway. And, 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 you know, if anybody's a bicyclist, you know how it goes. Most of the bike lanes in the U.S. are like painted um stripes on a road and there's a semi truck and um some guy that's um driving crazily because he's trying to text and it's really dangerous i mean you have to be super alert and i've taken out my my friend's kids when they were like you know eight to to ten eight to eleven and i was constantly telling them hey you know we've got to keep like totally 100 percent maximum alert here because the drivers are nuts there's no protection where like if you had a divided bike way In other words, where there's a curb or something to protect you at least somewhat from um, these huge, you know, three, four thousand pound vehicles, then people start using the bikeway a lot more. And and it's for it's common sense, right? I mean, if if you're gonna um, have your kids with you, you do not want to endanger their lives on some like super risky bike lane. So, you know, it's going to take some investment to create those kind of bikeways. So, if a community did that. And then, and then um, encouraged businesses, like actually zoned it so that, you know, there'd be like turnouts where people could set up stalls and stuff like that. You could, you could generate a huge amount of business that simply does not exist now. If, if the community did it, but to expect like the federal government to like do this, then it's, you're already into, um, well, We're where's still the lobby? Thinking.
0: Yeah. Because, thinking, just like you say in your book.
1: Yeah. Where's the lobby? You know who's the who's the global America you know corporate America corporation that's going to make a billion dollars making this? Well, it doesn't exist. There's it isn't that kind of thing, and so that's where we're that's what we're talking about is is um, the standard model just doesn't ha- doesn't make room for a lot of stuff that we need.
0: Yeah, and there's a, actually a really good documentary I watched called uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it was on Prime Charles, but it's called The Human Scale, and they even talk about you know when you when you when you build streets for people and not cars it's amazing like how much better business goes too and because cities aren't really designed for people anymore they're designed for cars and and, and and it's um but even i don't know if you guys have this there i know we have it all over the midwest especially all over ohio but rails for trails uh or trails for rails or whatever it's called where they convert old railroad tracks into bike paths and there's, you know, one that I grew up on and I would either run or ride my bike on and it, and it took you, and there's actually a few of them. I mean, there's one in um, Toledo too that I use quite a bit. Like, and, you know, there's plenty of spaces to where they all are, are parks where even if you did want to have stands and parking lots, wherever you have stands and parking lots so people can get out and ride their bike, if you had booths and businesses, I mean, that would be fun. I mean, that would be a great environment for for people to take their kids, for families and everything else like that. And I think that's um, I, I don't re- I don't know why they're not doing that. And I don't know if it's because, you know, people get weird and they're, they're like, I don't want I, I don't know. I, I think it maybe just people haven't thought to do it yet. But um, I think that's definitely a huge opportunity in the Midwest. Um, I know in the cities, we're, what you're talking about, like, we're, um, you know, with bike road, bikeways that are on roads, that it gets scary. I mean, there's people who are texting and driving, and which goes back to Facebook, and <laughs> uh, and it's it's scary. Like I, now that I have my truck, and I drive my truck be, uh, until I get this other car going. Um, yeah, everybody's texting and driving. I see police, people in cars. And usually, whenever somebody's not paying attention, they're driving like a jerk. You look, and they're on their phone. And sometimes, if I don't see somebody in my truck and I'm getting over, and then I'm like, "Wow, this person is mad at me." That's kind of weird. Then I look over; it's because they're on their phone. So they just figured it was their fault, not mine. But, anyways, back to uh, what we're what we're talking about here. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's um, you know, I, I think those are those are big possibilities, especially for a new economy and a new a new system.
1: Right and uh I was just um reading some um articles as background for like entrepreneurship right and and like the number of small businesses that are uh, being born you know in the US is declining and you know there's a lot of reasons for that you know overregulation um high costs you know um uh the big boys have all the the lobbying and and um and all that, all those kind of things that are are kind of commonsensical. But I also think that there's a, um, and kind of what my book is about is we need like new models for thinking about the economy and employment. And so, um, you know, one of the things that, um, that's spreading very fast is like Airbnb and Uber and, and these kinds of, um, they call it the gig economy, or you know, the um, there's various terms. Shared economy, shared economy, right? And so, the the um, from an economic standpoint, what that model does, and um, is it takes um, assets that um, are not um, producing any income, and it and it um, basically turns them into income-producing assets. So, so it sort of brings these like assets that were dead if you will, um, uh, brings them to life in, in this shared economy. So um, at the lowest level, you know, your car sits in the garage 95% of the time. And so, you know, Uber and that kind of service, um, you can say it monetizes it. But what it really does is that asset is dead in your garage and you, you bring it in and, and take people around, then you're turning that into like an income producing asset. So that already exists. In other words, we don't have to go build another 10 million, you know, vehicle, uh, fleet. It's like, we're simply taking the 10 million vehicles that already exist and are sitting there, um, dead in the water, so to speak, and turning them into like an income producing asset. And, and that's of course the same thing with Airbnb. Like you've got all these, um, you know, people that a lot of people own like a whole house and there's just one or two of them in, in the household. And so they've got a lot of empty rooms. And so Airbnb simply takes that, um, uh, asset, which there's some economic term, which I can't recall at the moment, that um, it sounds better than, um, like, dead asset. <laughs> but, you know, it's a dead asset, just like there's dead money, you know, and so um, the shared economy takes all this, um, these dead assets and turns them into productive assets without having to um, invest, like, $10 billion or whatever in building another, you know, million of hotel rooms or whatever. It's just taking what's already existing. And so, I kind of part of my thesis, if you will, is the same thing is true of our community economy, which in, includes the kind of things we're talking about, you know, brew pubs and bikeways and farmers markets and and uh, this kind of stuff, which is, it's it's not. Fixable, or you can't create it with like a federal initiative. I mean, it just, it, it's very localized, and that's, the nat- that's its nature. And so um, just like the federal government can kill things in, in the shared economy, um, but it can't really make it happen. And so a—I I guess what I'm um, trying to describe is it's, a, it's not just an economic model, but it's a cultural model. You, you know, you have to be open to this idea and and your local community has to be willing to support it because if it just um, if it's ruled and uh, by the like say taxi lobbies or the supermarkets that don't like farmers markets and you know it, the, the sort of big players can can crush this and that's why we have a stagnant economy in my mind we have stagnant wages we have a stagnant economy we have you know more businesses closing than opening and it's all because of this culture. Where everybody wants Corporate America to move in a you know, thousand person factory or call center or something, and they don't realize that the real growth comes from five hundred people starting businesses that that hire two people.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's the key. it's It's all about, you know, what we talked about in like our first conversation really is micro entrepreneurship. I mean, it's it's not we talk about this a lot, and it's something I'm trying to do, which is having, multiple streams of income from a lot of small businesses like i don't need it's 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 basically you know just trying to monetize your lifestyle in a sense like if you like doing something try to turn it into a hobby and then make a business out of it and then if your business starts going becoming profitable you can hire somebody and or teach somebody else how to do something you're doing and i I think it's I think that's, the, that's really is the key, you know, have lots of small businesses like food trucks. Um, another thing about Columbus, you know, and, and I'm not, I guess I am gonna make a commercial for Columbus, but you know, something else that's like exciting here is there's so many different food trucks and a lot of them taste really good. And uh, my friend, uh, Brian, he owns a, a food truck called OH Burgers. It's all locally sourced vegetables and meat. Um, he gets all of his vegetables from the farmer's markets. Uh, gets his meat from a local butcher that gets their meat from local farms, and um, you know that he's he's he started with his his food truck before the craze really hit Columbus, and but now it's everywhere. I mean, we have food trucks that come to work every week. We have a food truck festival. We're not to the point of Portland where we just have a, a street that's shut down and it's all food trucks. But, you know, we're, we're getting there. Like, it's getting, it's, it's getting there. And I think, you know, small businesses like food trucks and microbreweries and, you know, hopefully soon urban farms. And I think, you know, my friend uh, Curtis in uh, Kelowna, he's got, he's got one employee. He's, he's hoping that he can afford to have a second employee and then he can have that business when it's not busy pay for his employee's salary at least and just have the business pay for itself. And then that frees him up, and that gives him time to go do other things to make to make money or to start a different business, and and I think that's just kind of how it how it should be. And I think you know with with entrepreneurship, it's all about getting started, duplicating your efforts, duplicating what you do, systemizing everything that you're doing, and then being able to take the steering wheel of that business and hand it off.
1: Yeah, and and let's. I have two things I wanted to ask you to expound on a little bit. One is how the local government and community can either support all these things that you just described or it can make it so difficult that, that it's really hard to make a living and then people just give up. Oh. And <laughs> that that is that is so key and and yet I would say and and you you know this is just a wild guess. I would guess 95% of all American communities um make it really difficult just to, to have a start a business or be a micro entrepreneur they make it um very costly they put roadblocks in your way they're not encouraging at all they'd rather rent you know the entire downtown to starbucks and um and you know like global america chains and it's like um so it, they really make it difficult and um I, I want you to speak to that, and then I also want you to uh, talk a little bit about uh, um, something that you told me about, your, you know, your dad um, retired from Jeep, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, but he that, retired from Jeep.
1: And that I think that this is a topic that I want, I think we can connect these two really big dots, like the difficulty that American culture, you know, we like to think of ourselves, oh, we're very entrepreneurial, and not I not sort all. of, I like call <laughs> BS on that, like, <laughs> You know, at the local level, it's like everybody's got a fee or a business license and it's a real – they make it very expensive and costly. And um, so, I mean, it, there's a f- – you know, like the street you mentioned in Portland, there are a few places. I mean, a really small number of places that that actually make it easy to start your own business. And that's the way it should be everywhere, you know. And so I want you to talk to that. But I also want you to, to – um, describe your conversation with your dad that he, in the old days, like 20, 30 years ago, he'd be set, right? He got his pension yeah. from, uh, you know, from cheap and, and social security. And, and it would be like, okay, uh, no problem. But he he's sensing the same sort of insecurity that we've talked about that you can't count on anything anymore.
0: Well, yeah. So starting with my dad. Um, so my dad now is, you know, all of his kids are grown up. My youngest, my my brother, he's, I have a brother that he has from his second marriage, and he's 10 years younger than me. He's in college. He's a smart kid. Um, super, super proud of him going to school. Um, still, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, for my dad, though, you know, he's got my brother out of the house, um, and so my brother... My family's like family business on my dad's side. I mean, both my sides of my family are, are just to kind of say for people that don't know this about me is blue collar. My one grandpa worked on the Alaska pipeline, was the president of his union. Uh, him and my his brother pretty much formed the retirement benefits of this union. And really, like, I mean, that was kind of the family business was uh, uh, that local chapter of a pipeline union or uh, pipe fitting union. And then my grandfather worked for a railroad company, retired, was the president of that union on my mom's side. So like unions really go deep in my family. And, you know, I have these conversations with my dad and my grandparents now that unions have really lost their place. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because my dad, you know, retired from Jeep, has a, has a good pension. I mean, my dad actually has a good pension in eyes of, you know, money that you have this money coming in uh and you don't really have to do anything to get anything for that money it's really good but currency devaluation is is that really continues to grow even though the price of oil is coming down um there's a lot of factors i mean he he still has his 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 house isn't paid off yet it's a lot of different stuff and in actuality like my dad's been slaving away in a damn factory in Toledo, Ohio, most of his life. So he, him, and my stepmom want to live their life, and I don't blame him. So, what well, my dad has decided to do, and uh, and it's actually been really cool to see because you know he's been traveling and working, but he he's now he's gone back into the family business per se, which isn't a good business if you're going to raise a family. Like it's really hard to be on the road all the time, have your wife and kids away from you, like. Nobody wants to live that life, but my dad now, his kids are grown up. Um, he can work and, and get these welding inspector jobs, make a lot of money, save it, pay his bills with his retirement. To the point to where like their ultimate goal is to buy a catamaran and then live on a catamaran for five years. And then I, uh, I actually sent him and my stepmom your your post about that company that Gordon has. Um, where you know it, it shows you where you can go live in Asia. I've really been encouraging them to just become perpetual travelers, and and so and, and so a conversation that my dad and I have is that him and my stepmom need to live like a millennial now. And the reason why I say that is because you know for me, I know that no uh, uh, companies aren't going to be loyal to you anymore. And something that I've noticed amongst it's weird because I'm in this weird. Age period, my brothers and I, that, and there's a lot of people in there that are in your, you know, early 30s, early to mid 30s, to where there's somebody that's about 10 years older than me and they look at the world completely different. It's like, that's, it's like the difference between Generation X and Generation Y or the Millennials, whatever we're called. And, and I'm in this in between stage to where, you know they still think that like these companies are going to be loyal to you and they're not i mean companies they can't afford to be i'm convinced that where i work which i don't really want to say yet but you know i work for a telecommunications company it continuously is going under sale like it's it's been it's gone through like two mergers in 2 years and the first one failed the second one's probably going to fail and and I'm really convinced personally that it's because they can't afford to pay for people's pensions. This company still offers a pension, and it's it's not a sustainable business model, unfortunately. And it's it's this it's this weird period in our life in in our society that I that I just keep seeing happening. And then for me personally, I was realizing that you know I I'm the only one that's accountable for me, so I have to make the best decisions for me, and and I have a a good friend, uh, I, I actually had, I'm going to be releasing a podcast with him soon. And he said to me that, you know, like I make sure at every job that I tell them if another company offers me the same hours for more money, I'm going to leave because that's a better situation for me. And it's a weird thing because people don't realize that if, 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 if shortly, if, if your job they can replace and it can become a better situation for them, they're going to do that. And I, and I think that's – for me, I mean, and I think that's, that's kind of what, you know, my dad has – and the reason why it, it ties in with my dad is because, you know, my dad now only – it's weird because my uncles still do these jobs uh, or my uncles tell him to kind of take these jobs in the sense that, like, thinking that he has to and, like, the idea is take work when you can. But, you know, my dad, you know, he's not doing that. Like, he's taking jobs that – he he likes i mean obviously he wants to make money but he's taking jobs to where he's not risking himself if it's a serious health hazard my dad's not going to take that job he doesn't need to there's no point this is extra money for him and i think that people need to put themselves in a position to where you when you work you understand that you're just doing this job to either gain a certain skill or to gain capital and that's that's the attitude i've personally taken and i think that's what you were talking about about charles and if not i hope this was beneficial to the conversation
1: <laughs> no no i thought um absolutely and i thought what was very interesting was that your dad's generation of which you know i'm i'm um you know, I'm 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 in my early 60s, and um, so I'm probably similar to your dad. Maybe he's younger than I am,
0: 55 or something. But he's uh, he's 58, so yeah, yeah you're about the same age. Yeah,
1: we're in that 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 same bracket where, um, and what I what I thought was um, profound uh, that that we should study in 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 the conversation you had with your dad, and 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 I think that what he's learned from you. Is that it really is a lot more contingent than the older generation, like the boomers and Gen X, um, that they were told? And I think this is a sea change. And it's not because people are evil, like you said. It's not because, you know, the Bilderberg group has decided to screw over, you know, 60 million retirees and they're, you know, <laughs> I mean, it. it, it that that would be nice if it was that simple, like if life was a cartoon. But actually, life is not a cartoon. It's really complicated. And so, as you say, corporations, their backs are to the wall too. And it, and if you know people who you know um, are in the higher levels of, of of corporate America, I mean, they're like totally have a gun to their head the whole time. You know, yeah. like if they don't make their quarter, they're dead.
0: They're yeah. fired. They're, they make a lot of money, but there's a lot of stress and risk that goes with it. And yeah. I'm not trying to say that like. Yeah, every every executive is a saint because I, I think most executives are overpaid bureaucrats because the reason why they're always in this pinch is because they're not creative and they don't really understand how to be innovative. But that's what corporate America is,
1: and that's what corporate America pays for. And so does so does big government. You know, I mean, absolutely. Um, So, but to get back to that point, I think that what I think was so interesting and it's worth exploring is that your dad um, understands now or senses at some level um, that the U.S. economy has changed and that he cannot necessarily rely on the the pension um, in the way that we could 25 years ago. In other words, it could be taxed down to like almost nothing you know, yeah. um, or it could, like, as you say, could lose purchasing power as if the dollar, you know, gets trashed or there's a lot of different risks out there that, that we didn't really perceive and it really didn't exist like 20, 25 years ago. So the, the global the global economy has changed and the U.S. economy has changed because the U.S. is a global economy. And I want to mention real quickly, this is another thing that I didn't get to cover in my book, but, you know, people go, well, you know, um, we all should have, you know, good-paying union jobs. But if you examine that, we have to realize that um, if we want to get paid, you know, thirty-five bucks an hour at the John Deere factory, and then we're going to sell those tractors mostly overseas. Yeah. Well, that's nice. But what are those other countries that are that are supposed to be buying our tractors at like very high cost? What are what do they want from us? Well, they want the same access to the market. That we want in their market, and and so you can't have it. You know, it doesn't work like that. You can't like impose your demands. Like I want to be able to sell my cars and and tractors to you at full pop, Um, and then. But but guess what? My market's closed to you. That doesn't work,
0: right? No, and that's kind of the uh, (laughs) and not to. I mean, because this man is such a fascist and a neo-Nazi, I'm going to bring it up, and that's why Trump's. What Trump says is so idiotic about immigration and everything else like that because it's not... If you cut off people coming in this country because most of the people that enter this country and become a, illegal immigrants were actually entered legally. And it's the same thing. If you cut that off, then good goodbye Americans being able to travel to other countries. And it's like people don't... It, it It's this very kind of um, arrogant view... And it's 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 there's some ignorance and arrogance to it that you know people don't see and and I think like just like what you're saying about these union jobs factory jobs I mean look at Caterpillar like Caterpillar is struggling to fit like they have that new zero Hedge just said like they have that new thing where they're just gonna turn off the they're gonna turn off the excavator because these people aren't making their payment but now Caterpillar has to figure out a way to to transport logistically this you know ten ton equipment back to wherever it needs to come from, which is going to be expensive. I mean, uh, it's it's not sustainable. And even my dad's job, right? Like uh Gordon and you at the beginning of this year did this really good podcast about and if you guys don't check out Charles's conversations with Gordon T. Long, you definitely should. They are um, they're awesome. I hope our conversations are just as good. I know they're different. But uh you guys were talking about the subprime loans for cars. And it's, it's a really interesting thing right now because like Jeep sales are going through the roof, but I don't know how many of these Jeeps people are actually continuing to pay on because everybody's getting approved for new cars. So that's another thing that my dad, I know, is taking into consideration. And um, because I, just make sure he reads. Hey, Dad, read this article. Dad, read this. Dad, you know what I mean. And it's it's like I'm constantly like saying like it's not over. Your life is just beginning.
1: Yeah. See, that's what I think is is um, worth exploring here is that um, you uh, have educated your dad, if you will, to some degree on the sort of um, the qualitative change in the U.S. economy, and that that it's really unwise. For him and all of us, uh, whether we be boomers, Gen X, or Gen Y, it's really unwise um, and um, and risky to kind of take things for granted. Like, oh yeah, it's going to be there for me. Well, that's not the case. And so, what the way you're living your life and the way your dad is now living his life is, yeah, take um, take opportunities to do work you enjoy or that you know is, is that you think is, is at least worth um, you know your effort and um and then and then pile up the money to invest in in something real not like in wall street or hope you get you know hope you get a return but like a catamaran i mean that's a great idea because it's a real thing
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then, and they can live and i mean there's and it's like and also that then then your life becomes an adventure they're both good at fishing they got like i mean they watch youtube oh, they go to youtube university watch these people that are doing it and my stepmom Where's my oldest brother out because they're so excited about she's so excited about doing this and it's like it's it's also kind of cool too I feel like I've I'm slowly turning my 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 dad and stepmom into voluntarists, in a sense because they they're realizing that like government is only going to really get in the way of what they want to do and it's 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 and I'm not trying to say like look I I, I think locally a, a government probably could work and I'll I'll probably be called a statist or whatever, but ultimately, like, you cannot depend on the government. The, the government is not efficient enough to take care of you. It just never will be. You have to figure out ways that you can take care of yourself.
1: Yeah, and let's talk, That that's the dot, the connecting that I wanted um, to, to, to make here, which is to bring um, the conversation around to how a local community and government can either really get in the way of economic Growth um, at the small scale, or it can really help. And so you've had enough um, contact with the, um, you know, with the Columbus yeah. local government. Why don't you speak a little bit about that?
0: Well, it's for the most part, it's pretty good now because of the. So with Uber, the taxi cab lobby actually was probably paying the city some money, and and from we used to have Uber and Lyft. And Uber was just like, yeah, that's fine. And Uber has just pretty much played the game. Lyft actually left town because they'd do one regulation, they said, okay, you're good. Then the cab union or a cab lobby would put more pressure on the city. So then they'd go back to Uber for more to extort more money. And then Uber would pay and Lyft wanted to stop paying. But now to be an Uber driver in the city of Columbus, you have to have a peer-to-peer license, which I think is like five hundred dollars or I'm not 100 on the, sure on the cost. I know it's more than 100. I feel like it's either it's anywhere between 150 to 500. I'll I'll take a look. Um, but people still do it, and actually, most of the people that are are Uber drivers. I mean, it's if you get out of town, it's it feels like it's surge pricing all the time. And we have so many Uber drivers in Columbus because it's it's a spread out city, but everybody's kind of figuring out that. You know, if we want to get drunk at these, you know, these micro brews and these craft brews, we don't want to get DUIs because Columbus also has one of the highest DUI rates. So we better take advantage <laughs> of Uber. And uh, so I, uh, I, you know, so that's that's one thing. Um, the food trucks, it's the same thing. Food trucks have to pay a license with the city. It's not. It's not. It's actually pretty friendly, from my understanding. I mean, I'm sure it's still, it's still probably. You know, I mean, there's still. You still got to pay a license and all this other shit that it's probably not really that important to start a business. They still want you to pay it. Um, the farmer's market was actually pretty friendly. I mean, Columbus is actually really big on local. Here's the thing that they haven't actually came out with that. I got on Facebook and was mad and I'm like, that's it. I'm going to sick Charles on them." And, <laughs> and it was like, they have this idiotic chicken regulation that they're trying to do right now. They make it so you have to pay for a permit. Most people don't. And and the the weirdest thing is they try to scare you with why they need these permits and why they need this this bullshit. And it was really what was really interesting was watching these three people sit there not having anything to back up of what they're actually saying. And um and it was it was kind of interesting because there was all these local people that have chickens and it was and I wanted to get up there and say something but it was just like and I actually put my name in but it was person after person after person that was just like a community leader on their street because this one guy was like, you know, I have chickens, all the kids in the neighborhood come, they introduce to these chickens, I teach them about the chickens, we we collect eggs, and it's all about like it's really interesting with their relationship and everybody pretty much was agreed in a, in agreement voluntarily to not have a rooster because a rooster is going to be the biggest disturbance in a neighborhood. Like I don't blame people. Like most people that I know that have roosters or had roosters when they get chicks, they grow up and they're in the city they just eat the roosters because they don't. I mean, you don't need a rooster for your chickens to lay eggs unless you want to breed your chickens. Um, and usually, you know, most people in the city aren't breeding chickens. They're using them to to either use them as uh, chicken tractors for their gardens to get compost for their gardens, or just to get eggs. And it's usually to get eggs. And and a chicken, there's really no reason why a chicken in a city shouldn't be regulated like a dog or a cat. Dogs, for the most part, in my opinion, are way more disruptive. My neighbors, they have three pit bulls and they the one, Grimace, he's a sweet dog when I'm on the other side of the fence, but I'm on my side of the fence, he just barks at me nonstop. He just bark, 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 bark. But I'm not going to complain. Like I don't want somebody to complain about me because of anything like i'm not that kind of person where i'm gonna if I, if his dogs give me a problem i'm gonna go to my neighbor's house and we we'll say hey man your dog keeps barking it's super annoying and you know he's gonna say yeah i'm sorry man he just that's just how he is and that's how grimace is like I, i've just come to deal with it he's a, he's he tries to be tough on his side of the fence but when he go over to when you when I go over there, he's a big softy. So it's it's just like that's just kind of how dogs are. Like it's an annoying thing, but we've all accepted it because it's a dog. But now that people have chickens in the neighborhood, you know, I feel like it's just the city like really looking at it as a way that they can expand and and tax people in a different way. And so that's that's something that to me, I don't think the city's going to win. I think there's so many people that are are against it that are actually the ones that pay for their licenses and already and and to them it's just you know it's and it's ridiculous like it's over a thousand dollars they want you to have to pay for 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 the city to to have chickens there then they want to come in they want to expect your housing for the chickens and all this other stuff and they haven't consulted uh mike hogan who's like our who's actually this awesome guy at osu who's really all about urban farming like they just created this urban farming certificate through the university which in reality, I, I mean, you could take that class. The class that I paid for that I have as an affiliate is a way better program. But, I mean, it's it's cool to see the university cares because the university can put pressure on the city. So, um, so that's my experience in the ag, urban ag, and with share economy. I don't think Airbnb has anything. I know homeowners associations and uh, for condos, they crack down on it, and it's usually because it's like people that don't understand it. So that's, I mean, that's for me. That's that's my experience in the city here.
1: Well, it sounds like a uh, uh, a bit of a mixed bag. Like there, that uh, actually the city of Columbus is doing some good things and um, trying to create, you know, some opportunities. Um,
0: depends on the bureaucrat, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, and. I think that um, I think that the uh, you know I guess I'm I'm thinking of two points. One is that um, you know entrepreneurship is is a lot of hard work, and um, I'll give you an example. I mean, you you your own life is is filled with examples, but um, I just had a piece of uh, some like locally made goat cheese and one of our friends had gone up there as um and and as one of these you know farm programs just basically worked for free for a couple days at the guy's you know goat uh goat farm goat cheese farm and she she reported to us that you know i mean the guy works like 12 hours a day because you know the animals need to be milked and then you know the making cheese is like laborious it's not like particularly easy Yeah. And so a lot of the things that we're talking about are actually, they're not like super easy, you know, like super easy is go to work for the city, put in your hours, spend two hours of your time like fooling around and not really working, and nobody minds because no one can be fired. And um, and by the way, I know all this because I, most of my cousins work for cities and counties and, or the federal government, and my sister works for the county. It's like, I'm sorry, but that is not hard work. <laughs> everybody goofing off like a a huge amount of time you know and since they can't be fired then there's no real way to like force anybody to do any real work you know it's like everybody's on cruise control and taking like you know long lunches and spending a lot of their time during the day you know on social media this is the reality and if you work for the city or county I'm really sorry but that's the reality and you if you you know if you're being dishonest, then you'll claim you're all really working hard, but I'm sorry that I call BS. <laughs> so, um, you know, that and let's remember, government only lives off the surplus of the private sector. If there's no surplus, the government cannot exist, you know, unless it borrows money. And then that's basically borrowing from our grandchildren. So that's not like some sort of free money. That's money that we will have to pay interest on, you know, for decades to come. So that's that's like totally immoral, you know. So if we talk about, you know, where the government, you know, um, has a role, if it, you know, if it wants to support itself legitimately without borrowing from our grandkids, then it, it has to um, help small business, you know, um, and not just corporate America, but small business and um, enable it to thrive and, and, and the reason why I mentioned like the goat farm is even without any regulatory problems or, or barriers or you know high, high fees it's really hard to make money in this economy you know it, it is very difficult and so the government should be bending over backwards trying to make it as easy as possible because that's ultimately what the government itself lives off of—is you know tax revenues from people who can make a decent living and make enough surplus, you know, profit to pay their taxes and fees. And so we've mentioned this in a previous program that you know California, which is usually lagging in a lot of different <laughs> ways, despite its like you know reputation for you know innovation, um, but some other states as well have 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 set up these programs where you can have a small business that, you know, um, doesn't have to pass a lot of regulatory muster if it makes like 20,000 or less a year, $20,000 or less a year. So this is the kind of thing that, um, local governments can do, you know, and state governments as well. Make it easy to start a business, make it easy to pay your, your minimal fees and taxes. Um, and and if we don't do that then we're going to have a stagnating economy like locally and nationally so
0: yeah and i think something else that i want to add is even obama which i'm not a fan of uh i'm not a fan of any politician i think i i wish obama could stay in office now cuz he's such a broken individual when it comes to being a president these days and he just kind of says his opinion like yeah it's, it's just not going to work and that's kind of it, or he'll just kind of defeatedly make, make his opinion, even if I disagree or agree with him, but he just seems really broken now. But anyways, um, he had his people, it was like his eco- economic recovery team or his economic analysis, and they did this study, and it turned out that they figured out if you remove state licensing for things like barbers or florists, And all these other things, like just things that get in the way of people becoming self-employed, it would be so much better for the economy. And there's a I'll send you the article about it. Like there's a few articles about it. I don't know if you've already read about it, but it's and it and it really kind of shows that like on a small level, you know, look, if if the government is gonna tax anybody, it should be corporations. But even then, like people I always hear the argument, well, corporations will leave. Well, they can't. But like to me, Jeep which my dad retired from is holding the city of Toledo hostage. I mean they they everybody's freaking out now because their their jeep is now because I doubt that they bar- they, they probably barely pay any t- taxes to the city likely. They just maxed out now that with the latest union agreement. The the most you'll make if I started at Jeep now as an 18-year-old and I expected to work 30 years there like my dad did you're not going to get a pension. You'll get a 401k that I don't even think matches. And then the most they're going to pay you is like either 14 or 16 dollars an hour, which in reality, I mean, that's really I mean, I I make I make about that hourly but then I have commission because it's it's you know, I'd rather make most of my money in commission. But, you know, if that's your only source of income and you're going to go work in a factory, probably go deaf, have a lot of ergonomic problems as you get older, it's not worth it. And in, in the long run, I mean, just to just to do mindless labor, yeah, anybody can do mindless labor, you can have machines do it. So Jeep is now like threatening that they're gonna leave um, because they just built this factory back in 2004, 2003. And now because the Wrangler sales are so high and they're changing things that it's gonna be less expensive for the company to build a brand new one than to retool the shutdown and retool the old one. And in my opinion, it's shut down Jeep. Let them leave. Like Jeep is holding Toledo back. Like I, I recently went up there, and they have two craft breweries in a city of, you know, um, I think there's in the surrounding area probably five hundred thousand people. There's only two craft breweries, and it's and it's like you know I. You go to the Craft Brewery and it's a cool place, have great food. There's another one a few streets over. They're super supportive of each other. The the bartender was leaving the bar to go hang out there. And it was like it was like this kind of cool, there's a cool buzz that comes with that that, you know, you don't get from people working in a factory making 14 dollars an hour being miserable. So, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to sound weird, but I think that's that, I think it's the truth.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely true. And I think that the the sort of underlying themes that we're talking about here are generational and they're um, and they're the quality of the economy is changing you know like in other words the economy is changing not like in in um the the way that you can nail down to some policy change you know the Federal Reserve raised interest rates you know 0.25 percent I mean or some kind of absurd thing like that it's like it's changing at, at the most profound level and that's what we're talking about here and so the old economy that people are clinging to simply doesn't work no. it's no longer sustainable and so you can decry that you can bemoan it you can whine about it but it's not going to make any difference because it's based on these huge forces like demographics globalization um, the surplus of labor and and of capital you know and so um. We have to kind of either grab the bull by the horns and deal with reality, or we go into wishful thinking. And then, wishful thinking—where does that lead? It usually leads straight to disaster, right? Because you're not dealing with reality. So, and we've talked about you know the cultural thing of. you know, what states and communities and, and local cities and stuff uh, encourage this kind of thing? And, you know, you mentioned Portland. I've mentioned Bend. I don't want to focus totally on on um, on Por- on um, Oregon because, there, you know, there's a lot of niches. Um, I mean, obviously Columbus is like an island of entrepreneurship, and, and there's, you know, Austin has some good things going from what I gather. There's places all over the U.S. that are um, islands of, of innovation and, and entrepreneurship, but they're islands. They're, they're, they're in this sea of like, you know, I want my pension or I want my, you know, corporate America job, or I want my government job. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, but that's not the future. You know, none of that stuff is sustainable.
0: No. And, and you know, and I, and I think like, that's the thing. And I think if you are an entrepreneur like myself and what I'm really looking to do, because someday I'm going to want to have kids and, you know, some of you and Gordon talked about um, the price of daycare. It's just crazy. It's just yeah. crazy. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to figure out how to get this food business going. I want to learn how to make my own mead. And then I think it'd be a great idea to move to where my my, my, my mom and stepdad aren't going to want to leave Youngstown. My stepdad works for Youngstown State. His plan in retirement, he really wants to teach. That's his passion. He's already wrote a book. I'm, I'm trying to encourage him. I talked to him about you, Charles. I'm like, you know, Charles writes a blog. He's written like 18 books since 2008. <laughs> he writes these essays all the time. I'm like, you you know what you should do with these essays is you should put them on Amazon. And it's like kind of this back and forth thing that you go with people that are creative and in different ways. And they don't really want to put their stuff out there. But it's what you got to do. And uh, I think it'd be great to go to a place like Youngstown that's really, to me, on the rise. The is starting to recover. They're figuring out that we need to make our our online. We need to make all of our courses online. It's cheap real estate. I could go to a place in Youngstown, get a house with two acres, two and a half acres for fifteen thousand dollars so you're kidding i am not kidding Charles. oh my gosh i'm not kidding at <laughs> that all that is insane yeah and it's it's not that here's the thing though you go out there there's not jobs so you're not going to go out there for jobs but if i learn the proper skills and i have skills to to make my own food learn how to sell food learn how to brew learn how to get get involved with restaurant business work, learn how that works why not go to a place like Youngstown that has zero craft brew, isn't too far from Pittsburgh, which is another kind of island of entrepreneurship and, and craft brew and hipsters and, and art scene. Why not go to a place like Youngstown where industry is already dead and start start a craft brewery, start this. And look, it's going to be hard. But if you, if for me, it's like if I get enough experience doing what I'm doing, then it doesn't matter to me i can go anywhere and and produce get customers do everything cuz i'm going to have the skills that it takes to make that happen and, and and to me that's 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 my plan because my mom all she wants in retirement is to be a grandma and like and it's like for me it's like i want to make my family's dreams come true in a sense or i want to give my 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 family jobs like i want to get this farming business going so i can have my cousin who Looked at college, saw me go to college, saw me drop out of college, saw me make more money not finishing my degree. He didn't finish his degree because he's like, man, I have this pool of debt. There's no jobs. I can't get an internship. And it's like, why not? I know he's a good worker. I know he's a smart guy. Why not give him a job, teach him how to do this this microgreens or whatever? And like, he's one of my favorite people. Why wouldn't I want to work with him all the time? So why not create an opportunity – for him to do that, why not? And, it, and to me, it's always like, why not create the money through the uh, things I like to do to make them pay for themselves. And I, and that's to me, that's I can't stress that enough. And I feel like that's the way most entrepreneurs look at things. Like my friend's dad bought a helicopter, and uh, and I didn't know him when he did this, but he was like, you know, I to me it was like I I need to figure out how to make this. This helicopter pay for itself, so I started a courier business and then i was I was having fun flying my helicopter, but then I was actually making money while I was doing it and making it pay for itself and it's it's just like to me that's that's what people need to that's the way people need to change the way they think
1: that's a very good example and a good uh, way of summarizing you know our our theme that we 're talking about here, <laughs> and that um you know that that one of my favorite quotes is supposedly uh, by General Douglas MacArthur, who was, you know, like apparently a real, you know, prig and a difficult person in real life. But he, um, he had a knack for, number one, staying alive in battle. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, you know, um, at leadership, and, and he said, you know, there is no such thing, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, there's no such thing as security, there's only opportunity, and and I think that that really summarizes where America is at, and, and, a, and a lot of the other developed nations are, are in the same place, which is, people have gotten used to the idea that there's security, and the reality is, life is insecure, and that there's only opportunity, and so it's quite a different mindset to go you know i want security you know i want i want a guaranteed thing where i work for 30 years and then i get like a pension for 30 years that covers everything and I, and it's all like well you know what that's just not realistic anymore in terms of demographics and globalization and a million other uh, huge factors that, that we can't control with like the Federal Reserve or that the Congress can't pass a law and make it all go away. I mean, it's just these are forces that are systemic and structural, and so we have to grasp the nettle if you uh, it's pain Painful.
0: Okay, it came back. There you go. Sorry, you said we got to grasp the nettle, and it cut out briefly and then it came back.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like we have to grasp the nettle of opportunity. And of course, it means we can fail, but that's what entrepreneurship is about, right? Sometimes we fail, but we learn a lot from our failures. And in fact, that's where we learn the most. At least um, that's what people say. And that's been my experience, too. <laughs>
0: that's been my experience. I and mean, I'm not like, look, I'm not killing it yet in entrepreneurship. I mean, I'm doing stuff and I'm learning and I'm making things happen, but I'm not, I'm still working my job. And uh, I mean, that's 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 the thing. Anyways, Charles, I could talk to you for another two hours about this stuff. Um, I'll have to get you on again soon. Um, for people, I mean, I wanted to talk to you about helicopter money and some other stuff too. But if, if you guys are interested in that, I don't think I could do a better job than the way Gordon and uh, Charles talk about. It. So go to Gordon Two Long's YouTube page and check those two guys talk about it. But before you guys go, there is a link now. You can see it at the side. Um, if you're on my website, just go to Singaporeer.com. I actually have a link for Charles's book and blog. I need to actually redo the picture, um, so it says of Two over the picture I put of you. But uh, so you guys can go there. There's gonna be links in the show notes. Check out Charles's book. I've I've read. I haven't read enough of them, but I've listened to every podcast i could find that charles is on it talked about its old books um and and just check out charles's blog subscribe to it if you work in a cubicle like i do and you have outlook you can actually subscribe through outlook which is pretty cool i read charles's blog over my coffee then my first hour of the day where i don't really do any work and i just sit there and get ready to work and so what I do is I read Charles's blog, drink some coffee, eat my breakfast, then I'm ready to start my day at the office. I recommend you guys do the same. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. He's at C.H. Smith. And the I in Smith is a one. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Join our Facebook group. There's going to be a link for it in the notes. Charles, do you have anything else to add?
1: No, Drew. Just that um, next time, uh, let's talk about automation and 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 money. Um, the, two of the big topics in in my new book, and I think um, you know they're hot topics. And and um, we, um, you're well placed to uh, discuss both those. So I, we'll jump on those next time. I'm
0: sorry to get to it today. We started talking about local economies, and it kind of took took over the conversation.
1: Well, that's important. So we'll we'll do automation and money next time.
0: That sounds awesome. Um, All right, everybody, thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we look forward to bringing you guys another episode soon.
2: They say you got your whole life to make. So that first outcome was worth hand, so here go. Let me kick a verse since it's on out. From the time I was conceived, I honestly believed I was destined for something I couldn't break from. It be cliche to say greatness, but hey, this is what I learned, which you why you can't escape from. So embrace it, don't run away from being it is idiot in that everyday equation. The steady glitch and it for limits to breaking up to to in. I think I discovered what my get my mind right, had to get the lines right, looking at my future like it's all up in my hindsight, I ain't playing that ball would've been a crime, sitting on my bed thinking I was on the sideline, that's why I shut, thinking about dead bread, I believe that ball would've been a crown, so I took it to the sleep, then I dreamed it instead, thinking as a sign, then I took it to the streets, took it from the books, then I took it to the beats, looking at my grind like a stretched not time, from the date, then I signed to the date of my release, damn, yeah, don't find, don't find, say the least, but I want to be the prime representative of a beast, I ain't trying to line with the rest, try to shine with the best of the line, just focus on me, as it should, if I can, then I can't could be the case. So I ran over tracks like I could beat the race. Overlapping who was laughing at the start. They depart, call it perm, I know it burns. That I'm relaxing in your face. Listen, I am on my job. I set them standards in them race. Living learn how to discern and need exhale in making haste. That was time for everybody in the crowd to up the pace. Cause I'm ready to rock, Apologize for the wait, but uh.